What are we supposed to do now? In the church calendar, there's a clear emphasis on the Christmas season and Easter season. These times are also marked by seasons of preparation. Advent prepares for the celebration of the birth of Christ. Lent prepares for the celebration of the resurrection of Christ. These two seasons are the anchors of the church's liturgical year. The heart of the gospel is communicated in these times of remembrance. As Paul remarks in 1 Timothy 3, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. But what about the times in between? After Easter comes Pentecost. After Jesus ascends to the Father's right hand, the Spirit descends upon the gathered believers, indwells them, and inaugurates the new covenant era of redemptive history. The longest span of time in the liturgical calendar occurs in the weeks after Pentecost. This season continues all the way until right before Advent begins. This lengthy sequence of weeks is sometimes known as ordinary time. It's called ordinary time because this season is simply marked by the passing of each week after Pentecost. The numbers are ordinals, like first, second, third. So the first Sunday after Pentecost, the second Sunday after Pentecost, and so on, and on, and on, and on. So that's why it's called ordinary time. But the possibility of associating this season with the common English connotation of the word ordinary is an ever-present temptation that often proves irresistible. This is the season where nothing happens. The long wilderness between the seasons of celebration, the drought that dehydrates and drains your energy like the grueling halfway point of a long hike in the middle of a blistering summer day. In ordinary time, nothing changes. It's the same day after day after day, common, ordinary, unremarkable. If you're going to make it through the year and persevere to the end, you'll have to learn how to live through ordinary time. William Carey was a Baptist missionary from England in the 18th century. During a sea voyage on one of his missionary journeys, Carey wrote this in his journal, still sick in the Bay of Biscay, latitude 47, Longitude 3 West. One of the reasons Carey kept the journal was to keep his supporters back home informed of his mission work during his trip to India. In the previous entry for June 14th, Carey grimly recounts, sick as were all my family and incapable of much reflection. The next day on June 15th, the effect lingers, still sick, followed by the latitude and longitude. All Kerry records here is where he's at and how he feels. The entry itself is sparse, unglamorous, and strikingly unremarkable. No, though my physical body grows sick of the sea with each tumult of this billowing ocean, my soul sallies forth on the waves of supernal bliss as I sojourn to the mission field on celestial wings fueled by the verb of my spirit-wrought blood earnestness. Not even a, you call me out upon the waters just still sick. A few days later, an entry reads, nothing remarkable. If you've been in ministry for any length of time, you've likely had more than one still sick in the Bay of Biscay type of days. 
The minister or missionary must be fueled by more than the thrill of adventure, when the only thing on the horizon is the chill of illness or a long string of unremarkable days. If we could see Joseph's journal entry about a decade into his imprisonment in Egypt, it might read, Still wrongly accused and misunderstood, still in prison. Centuries later, an apostle under house arrest might have recorded on his parchment sometime after his third denied request, thorns still in place, still hurts. Sunburnt and weary, a Jewish carpenter waiting and wandering in the Judean wilderness might have written, day 39, still hungry, nothing remarkable. Before Jesus faces the devil on day 40, he endures the drudgery of day 39. In his second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul connects the task of living out the gospel to the work of making a living. Paul and his co-workers were not idle among them, but with toil and labor they worked day and night so that they would not be a burden. They even reasoned, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Some among them were walking in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Paul strongly encourages them in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their living. After this specific admonition, Paul backs up and gives a general application. He urges, do not grow weary in doing good. Fittingly then, Paul begins his conclusion to the letter by saying, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The believer who toils and labors, who works quietly and earns a living, and who does not grow weary in doing good, is able to do so precisely because of the promise of the Lord's continuing presence in those moments. Union with Christ means the Lord of peace remains present in your joy, in your pain, in your liftoffs, in your layovers. The Christian life is exhilarating, but every journey includes the trial of transit and sometimes those lulls can make you seasick. The glories of the gospel oftentimes, perhaps most of the time, are proclaimed in the throes of weakness and within the steady rhythms of the unremarkable. The gospel is not only big enough to leap the gap between departures and destinations, it's also able to settle into the strain of the mundane. One of the lifelines for the minister who is in it for the long haul is the confidence that the God of this gospel grants perseverance in the pastoral task, even when you're still sick and there's nothing remarkable to report. Returning to the rhythm of the church's calendar, the same structure that created the long season of ordinary time is also the structure that infuses it with meaning. Common time is electrified by the two poles that bookend this lengthy season, Pentecost and Advent the coming of the Spirit and the advent of the Incarnation. Indeed, the missions of the Son and the Spirit are the means by which the churches make their way in the world until the end of days. In the first sermon in the book of Acts, Peter explains that this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. The resurrection and the ascension of the Son of God are followed by the outpouring and indwelling of the Spirit of God. The Easter wager gives way to the Pentecost imperative. 
The believer who has staked everything on the reality of the resurrection is not left with nothing to do in the new covenant, but is given a life-giving command. Walk in the Spirit. Paul makes this type of connection in Romans 6. He asks, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, Paul also writes, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul later asserts that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the Pentecost imperative to walk in the Spirit in the newness of life until the sun comes on the clouds and makes all things new. A life oriented to the Father, through the Son, and in the Spirit is the believer's goal as the weeks of ordinary time roll on. It turns out ordinary time is where we live most of our lives. In ordinary time we live in the electrifying dynamic of the already, the not yet, and the almost. In ordinary time, we run with endurance the race that is set before us, and we rest in the finished work of the one who has gone before us. In ordinary time, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we wait with broken hearts and sober joyfulness. Ordinary time teaches us to endure hardship as discipline, for God is dealing with us as sons. Ordinary time teaches us about the depth of grace and the rhythm of lament. In ordinary time, we cling to the promise that he is risen, that he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that he intercedes for us, and that he is coming quickly. In ordinary time, we are in it for the long haul, and we await the blessed hope. In Ephesians 5, Paul gives a charge that is fitting for those who are contemplating their purpose in ordinary time. He urges his readers, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk from wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks all, always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. If you are alive in this moment, your life matters, and God is calling you to faithfulness in season and out of season. Ordinary time is a gift. Praise the Lord for his grace.